Well, this morning, if you want to have a Bible with you, and if you don't have a Bible, get an app out or something. Uh, we put the passages up on the screen, but there's nothing like you looking at it and what you're going to glance at later this week, which I hope you do that. Um, there's something unique about the local church that's not the same as the blog post or the podcast that you turn into. God has joined you here to a body, and you know some of the messages out there might be a whole lot better than anything I could say this morning. Uh, but this is still where God's called us to be together, building the kingdom of God. And so I hope you revisit what we're hearing this morning. And, and we're going we're gonna to stick a little two-week uh, series into our uh, end of October moment here, dealing with the Reformation. Today's message is called Reformation 2021. So if you're looking for a Bible passage, we're going we're gonna to find help in understanding the Reformation in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. All right, so when you get to this point in the year, you're probably worn out with all the advertisements that have already shown up somewhere, you know, after the 4th of July. You know, the only stuff remaining on the headlines is Labor Day, which is, you know, vacation filled, go do something, end of summer kind of a moment. Then there's this weird celebration called Columbus Day, right? It, it usually is about buying mattresses or getting a phone deal, something like that. Maybe some cars are on sale on that day. But everything since July 4th is kind of geared towards Halloween, right? It's the next big thing. It's in your neighborhoods. It's advertised everywhere. It's, it's all consuming. But there's something else that happens on October 31st that nobody's talking about. And which doesn't surprise us, right? Our kingdom is not of this world. So if you're waiting for the world to turn around and tell you, hey, did you notice there's other stuff important that they're never going to do that? But October 31st marks a moment in history that, as, as Phil mentioned in the announcements, is called Reformation Day. It's a massive moment in the Christian history that it'd be safe to say without that moment and what God did on October 31st, going back to 1517, you and I would not be experiencing God in our midst the way we are today. And what came out of that moment was a, a little phrase about the Reformation, right? Uh, now, listen, next Sunday, and if you guys are watching and you're not able to be here with us, I hope next Sunday will, will not just be a Reformation Sunday. It'll, it'll be Be Here Sunday. It'll be Be Here. Just be with us on, on next Sunday. We've got special stuff planned. We're going to have another message on the Reformation next week. Uh, Phil mentioned the, the Fall Fest. The kids have got a special event taking place about the Reformation in LCC Kids that Ryan and Cretia have worked on. Lots of special stuff. They're going to meet a cast of characters uh, like Martin and Katarina Luther are going to be there. Yeah, we're bringing them back from the dead. John Knox will be there. John Calvin will be there. Lady Jane Grey and some of these folks are going, who are they? Well, all the more reason why you need to be here and learn about the Reformation next week. There are special songs. There are special skits going on for our kids. There are special snacks taking place. And then after service, a couple of hours where we can just hang out. One of the things I love about Fall Fest is just getting to hang out and mingle with each other and catch up with one another. So can you reserve next Sunday, a couple of hours after the service, just come eat some food, hang out and connect with some folks, right? We've had a hard time doing that in the last year and a half. But that's what next Sunday is going to be about. You guys who aren't here, we miss you. Come do that. Wear a mask. Wear, I don't know, whatever you got to wear. Wear a bee outfit that keeps people away, whatever. Just come be with us next Sunday. All right, here's our phrase for today. Latin used to be a, a language people cared about. It's a dead language now, but semper reformanda. 
was a part of a phrase that means always reforming. And it was a description of the church. At the Reformation, the idea was introduced that we are reformed and always reforming. Right? Michael Horton mentions that. He says, but where did this phrase come from? He says its first appearance was in 1674 devotional by Jodocus von Lodenstein. Here is his whole phrase. He says, the church is reformed and always being reformed or always in need of being reformed according to the word of God. Right Before I read the rest of this quote, would everybody here recognize if you've read your Bible much or if you've been living life a little bit, it's not just the church that needs to be reformed, but everything in this world needs to be reformed. It's, it's all gone in a, in, a, in a direction that's not a good direction. So that would be each one of us individually. We, we just can't be here going, yeah, that organization, that thing called the church, that thing needs to be reformed. Uh, you know, that's you and me. Right, The church is kind of falling short in so many categories because the individuals that make it up are all falling short. So we're all individually in need of being reformed. When you stare at your marriage, it's not just the concept of your marriage that needs to be reformed. It's the people in the marriage that need to be reformed. So reformation is not something that just, hey, the 1500s, what a great thing. Reformation is what God does on a regular basis in a fallen world. And it's kind of humbling to recognize that. Can, can we all just stand in line in the humility line right now? Is there anything in you that, that's admitting right now? Yeah, I could, I could use some change. I haven't fully arrived. There's some things about me that, that God could take to another level. Right? And that's what Reformation does. Michael Horton goes on and says, This perspective keeps us from making tradition infallible but equally from imbibing the radical Protestant obsession with starting from scratch in every generation. I don't know if there's been a more recent time in church history where that needs to be heard. Right? There's a polarization of generations taking place right now to where if you're an older Christian, you've got some older ideas and you don't want to see any of those get adjusted. You don't want to see music styles or the way that we did stuff or what we grew up with. None of that stuff you want to see get tweaked at all. And if you're part of a younger generation, you don't like anything that the church has been doing for, for decades. Okay, both of those are bad postures, right? When God's word is the source of our life, our ultimate loyalty is not to the past as such or to the present and the future, but to the word above all earthly powers, <clears throat> To borrow from Luther's famous hymn, neither behind us nor ahead of us, but above us, reigns our sovereign Lord over his body in all times and places. When we invoke the whole phrase, the church reformed and always being reformed according to the word of God, we confess that we belong to the church and not simply to ourselves. And that this church is always created and renewed by the word of God rather than by the spirit of the age. Oh, there's a lot about the spirit of the age coming into my head right now. It's coming into your head. Right, can I just tell you that I am watching way too much cancel culture flourish like mold 
in the church. And I say mold because my house has mold in it all over the place. <clears throat> so that stuff comes to mind. And the goal right now in my house is to make sure we get rid of the mold. There is a mood in our, our world. They feel a certain way about things. They've come to life over certain things. Certain things that they didn't even notice. Nobody was even noticing this stuff two decades ago. Now everybody's getting canceled on it. And everybody's getting pointed out to them. And, and, and that's creeping into the church. It starts to feel like the church can start feeling that way, right? So when, when we look at what is setting the priorities for us, it, it needs to be, and it always has needed to be the word of God. And that was Martin Luther's issue. Martin Luther's issue in, in being the point man in the Reformation was that it was the word of God that was being misplaced by what was taking place. We'll hear more from him next week. But this Reformation, it, 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 there's a time period, maybe if you, if you put the centerpiece in the 1500s, you could probably extend out 100 or 200 years in both directions, and you'd find the Reformation taking place. A variety of characters that saw a variety of things that began to raise these issues. And it's a good thing to, to stare at the Reformation and learn something. When God goes to reform things, it doesn't turn on a dime. It takes time reform things. So that needs to be an awareness in, in your own life. When God is at work in your own life, wouldn't you just like for God to show you something on Sunday? You know, hopefully God will show you something today and it'll be all done on Monday, right? But it doesn't work that way, does it? Sometimes God takes time and puts us in circumstances and leaves us among people and he's, he's reforming us over time. Sometimes God's doing that in marriages. Sometimes God's doing that in the world. He's doing that in churches. So make sure you don't just have a love for reformation, but not a love for the time that it takes for reformation to happen. But one of the other things that happens in reformation is something called protest. All right, most of us are familiar with the reformation has another description on the front end of it. It's called the Protestant Reformation. That word Protestant isn't just another sect of Christianity, it comes from the word protest. It comes from a moment in history where people protested something that already existed. There were ideas in place that they were going to protest those things. They were going to stand in the face of those things and say, that needs to get clarified. I, no, we don't believe that. That's not according to the Bible. So there's a protest going on when we do reformation. And listen, ours is an age of protest, isn't it? Right? We've seen lots of protest taking place. It's, it's full of emotion. It's, it's, it's full of heat. Uh, I mean, since the 1960s, we have been exposed to so many forms of protest over so many issues and varieties of issues. Today, Everything from masks to vaccinations to tax structures to political positions. There, there is one protest after another. And, and you're being invited to be a part of the protest. And I'm not even going to try to say whether that's right or wrong. I just observation, right? There is protest in our world. Where there's protest, it's because there are people seeking reform. They're seeking a reformation, Right? So when you have reformation and protest in the room with us, here's the three things that you're going to always bump into. There's going to be a cause somewhere. There's a cause. There are beliefs, ideas, principles, priorities 
that somebody's come along and saying, hey, you know what? Those priorities aren't the right priorities. These priorities are. Those principles that you've been living by, nope, that's not the right one. These are the right ones. Hey, you know those ideas that you've always done life this way and you've always used this kind of language and you've spoken to people this way? Hey, those ideas are wrong, right? There's a protest and there's a need for reformation. But they're not just a cause. There, there has to be convictions that go with that cause. Because most of us are aware there's lots of causes out there. But you and I don't jump on every cause. You know what makes you not jump on a cause? You don't have a conviction about it. You recognize there's a cause. Right, right? You recognize right now. There's causes all over our culture. But the ones that you're on board with are the ones that you have convictions about. Convictions are like beliefs on steroids. Right? You can kind of believe in something and agree with it. A conviction is an agreement with it. It is a yoking together. It is a loyalty. It is a sense that I own that. Yeah, man, I agree with that. And you, and you kind of know where your convictions are because somebody can bring up a subject and you'll ignore it. And somebody can bring up another one and you're all over it. You're well-informed. You've read a little bit. You've got a quote from somebody that you like because it's a conviction that's in you. Then the last thing that comes with protests and reformation is conflict. Anytime that there's reformation, there's going to be a cause, there's going to be convictions, and there's going to be conflict. There are different views in the room. There's stuff that's been going on for years, and all of a sudden, perhaps, that's being challenged. It's being told it's off. It's not acceptable anymore. It's wrong, even. Right, so these are the ingredients that come with protest and reformation. Now, now next week, I want to pick up, in particular next week, a little bit different what we'll do this week. I want to pick up Martin Luther's, what was he protesting? What were those who were the reformers of his time? What exactly were they protesting? What were they, they felt so strongly about that they literally are going to put their lives on the line. And they were going to stand up with conviction and represent something. And it was going to cost many of them their lives. Was it that they believed in so strongly that they were willing to turn their world upside down about? To lose things over, to lose friendships, to lose business opportunities, to lose connections with people, to be ostracized from society. Kind of an interesting rabbit to chase that I want. I'll just introduce the rabbit and you can chase it if you want. Um, I wonder among Christians today who have joined ourselves to a number of protests, I, I wonder if we even know what Martin Luther was protesting. I wonder if we know how serious the issue is that Martin Luther was protesting or if we've just got sucked into what the world is telling us is serious for us to protest today. We're well informed about some of our causes today. But I wonder if, if we could all sit down right now and write out what was Martin Luther and the reformers of history jazzed up about? Would we even know that? And is that kind of stuff really important anymore? Well, that's what Reformation 2021 is going to help answer. Well, this week, I, I want to let us learn something from the God who protests and the God who brings reformation. Right? I don't know if you knew that God is a protester. And God brings reformation, right? So let's, let's pick that up from <clears throat> John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning 
was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Right? So all things are going to get their definition of existence from Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In other words, nothing is independent of the one who made it. So everything that exists draws its existence and its definition from this one. And nothing is excluded from that. Not, not the atheist, not the person who never has an ounce of time for God, not the person who doesn't feel any obligation to acknowledge God's existence. Nothing escapes those phrases. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Great phrase, right? You were probably insulted when you were younger. Somebody say, oh, get a life, will you? <clears throat> but that's what we're trying to do, isn't it? I mean, aren't we all just living life trying to get a life? Uh, this is a big verse then, isn't it? In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light and that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, let's pray just for a moment. <clears throat> Lord, this is how you inspired the opening to the Gospel of John, to introduce us to something that we don't know all the parts. We don't know where everything goes. We're just staring out at life, trying to figure things out, trying to figure out what to do this week, and what's a priority for us in this moment. Lord, you have revealed some things here. You've revealed yourself to be a God who is a reformer, a God who stares into a moment and says there is a need for reforming something. God, help us see that. Help us see that about you. Help us see some things about us. Help us join you in your work of reformation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, reformation needs an origin, right? Because it is reforming. It's forming something again. So if you don't have a reference point, an origin, you really can't have a reformation, right? So this is a critical thing that the writer... Here does, God inspires John to write, here's how you tell the human story. You go back to the beginning and you talk about origins, right? So here in God's inspired word, there is a precedent that gets set for every human being who's trying to figure out what's going on today. And I'm going to say it real simply this way. It's the introduction that I am part of something, period. So as you and I go to do life, whatever it is that makes up our personal story, the first thing God does is he does not start with our personal story. He puts us in a context of something that's bigger. He picks our life up and he says, Keith, you are part of something. Oh, 
oh, okay. I don't know if I understood that. I don't know if I knew that. Well, what, is that, what does that mean for my life? Right? I think all of us get that life is filled with those who am I kind of moments. Right? You travel through them and you answer them weirdly and differently as you travel through life. You know, when I was a kid, you're in elementary school, you're trying to figure out who you are. Uh, and you're asking questions, and you ask kind of some weird questions. I, I think I stared in the mirror enough to try and figure out what to do with ears that were just too big, right? Who am I? Well, I'm the kid with ears that are too big. What am I going to do? Did anybody else? I don't know if that was Mad Magazine made us all feel that way. Remember the guy, Alfred, whatever he was, with the big, giant ears? I just knew I just needed to get my parents to let me grow my hair over my ears because they were just too big, and they just could not be seen. And that was going to disrupt whoever I was supposed to be in this world. The ears were in the way. And then, of course, you get to your teenage years and you're trying to figure out who am I? Trying to write your story, fill in your story. And so, you know, you know, if you're going to write a good story, you got to be around the right people. So now it's all about who you fit in with. And when the question comes, who are you? Well, I'm whoever they are. That's that's who I am. Uh, I'm on the team. Yeah, I'm starting playing on the team. I'm an athlete. That's who I am. Or I, I play an instrument. I'm in the band. You know, uh, this is who I hang with. Or, you, you know, you hang around uh, a gang. Well, yeah, that's who I am, man. You know, I've got a tattoo. I'm part of a gang. That, that's, that's me. All right, so what are you doing? You're trying to figure out who am I, right? And then you get to be a young adult and you stare out at a few people and you definitely discard some things. I don't want to be like that person. I don't want to be him. I don't want to be her. Uh, I don't want my marriage to look like that. So you're trying to figure out who am I going to be? And then you get a little bit farther down the road, you get to midlife and you've kind of lived a lot of whoever you're going to be. And that's a weird moment, isn't it? Or all of a sudden you kind of realize, uh, I think I'm done coming up with new stuff. I think I'm just stuck with who I am. Do I like who I am? Well, not really. Uh, and I regret a lot of things. It, I mean, midlife is a weird moment. And then you're a senior citizen and it kind of gets a little bit weirder in some ways, but you're just running out of energy. So you're not as weirded out about it, right? When you're in midlife, you got a little more energy. You can freak out more. When you get older, you're kind of like, hey, it is what it is, Keith. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. My teeth are falling out. My hair is falling out. There's not a lot of adventure left. I'm kind of coasting to the end, but it is what it is. All right. All right. So who am I needs a reference point. I got to answer this question from somewhere in my life. If I start answering the question, who is Keith Collins? Well, Keith Collins was born in New Orleans, February 26, 1964. And this and this and this and this. I started in the wrong place. God doesn't start answering our issue of who are we with us. He starts with in the beginning. God was doing something. God was creating things. So I don't know if you're doing that in your life. But I think this wise piece of advice, not coming from me, but coming from God. To figure out who you are, you can't start with you. You got to start with the creator. And you got to start with his creation. Right, Paul unpacks this just like John does in Colossians chapter 1. He, he says it this way. Notice where, notice where God's explanation starts and then where it goes next. Right? Here's where God starts. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. So before we get to us, God starts with himself, giving us an insight about our lives. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen to that list. Did you know life includes 
all those categories? Or when you go to figure out who am I, it's not just a matter of, well, I'm a, a male uh, living in America at this particular line. There's not more. Listen to the categories that exist in creation. There's heaven and earth. There's visible and invisible stuff in this world. There are thrones and dominions. You know, there's, there's stuff ruling things all around us. There are rulers and authorities in our world. This is where God starts. If you want to understand who you are, you've got to understand the creation and what God made. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. So now all things find a connection point to something else. And they all hold together. Did, did you know God had an intention that your individual life would, would be like an individual atom joined to a molecule? It would be part of something else. It was being held together in a purpose that the original plan had in place. So there's something about you and I that goes all the way back to the first thoughts of God in creating and holding things together in his son. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In everything. When you go to do life, the goal of the creator was that in everything. That means when, when I'm staring at how big my ears are, in that moment, something else besides my ears was supposed to be preeminent, right? When I move into my teenage years and I'm so freaked out as to whether I fit in with that group or that person, whether this person affirms me or not, something else was supposed to be preeminent. When I started a career and I began to make some money and stick some things away and create an image for myself and create patterns of life, something else was supposed to be preeminent. When my body starts to wear out and lets me know you're not going to be in this thing much longer. Something else is supposed to be preeminent. That in all things, he would be preeminent. Listen, everything I just listed, how many of us can recognize the second he is not preeminent, something else will be. And every one of those moments in our lives becomes a freak out zone. Because in the beginning, God intended for something else to be preeminent in our lives. Verse 19, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile, reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And now we can talk about us. And you, Paul says, and he's talking to us now. You who, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. That reconciliation, that's a purpose word, but it's a reformation word. At one point you were this, but then God reformed the situation. God stepped into it and altered it by what he was up to in his son. And now your story is different. It's not the story that it once was. It says in order, or in, he was reconciled in in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Right? We've been talking a lot about suffering and how God uses suffering. Right? This, is, this is part of the creator's game plan. He has a plan in my life to present me before God holy and blameless. 
and above reproach. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And now Paul's going to get personal. He's going to talk about his own life, right? He's one of us now, just talking about life. And then he says this next, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Ah, I wish I had two hours. Um, Just think about what Paul's saying about himself right now. He's explaining his life's circumstances to us. He is going through suffering. Paul went through some horrible suffering. So don't treat this like, you know, I caught the red light. I was trying to get through it. I caught the daggum red light, man. It's so, this is so hard. (laughs) He's going through severe suffering, but yet he pulls words in like, I'm rejoicing in my sufferings. Paul, why are you doing that? Well, because I have insights into other stuff that's going on. In my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Do you have any idea that that could be an agenda item for God? In my existence? That there is something God is doing in this grand scheme of his that includes suffering and affliction that's part of my story. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. Paul, where do you get the idea? Where do you get, where do you get help in your moment when you're suffering and your life just hurts? And you're discouraged? And you do, in, in and of the circumstances, you don't see this changing. It's not going to get better as far as you can draw a line and figure it out. Where do you get the ability to rejoice? Well, I kind of understand that, that the whole thing going on here is not me and just about me. I'm, I'm part of something. Let me take you back to the beginning. There was this creation and there was a creator who had an original design. And this is what he did. And he had a plan for all things to come together in his son. And he's working that plan right now. This is where Paul begins his explanation for his own life. This is who I am. And I was made a minister into this purpose that God has going on in this world right now. So how do you get to the place where you're able to rejoice in days of difficulty? Well, you're going to need some insights from outside of your own life. That's where Paul goes. He sees the creator and he sees the creator's purpose. So when we talk about reformation, you can't have reform unless you know what is this being reformed into? What is God trying to bring back? Where is he relocating us to another place from where we are right now? But there's not just origins in reformation. There's conflict in reformation. When God goes to install reformation, there's going to be conflict involved. He says in first, in John chapter 1, verse 5, he says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I mean, you guys know darkness and light, they're not friends. Right? They're, they're by nature antagonistic to each other. And here we're being told the darkness doesn't overcome the light. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
In verse 14, the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Right, so in this Reformation, and this, this passage here in John is so rich to help us understand what, what's being touched when God reforms things. What's being touched? Well, there's a conflict between darkness and light. When the protest begins, one is protesting the other, and there's conflict there. All right, did, did, did you know that? Do, do you awaken every day with an awareness that there's darkness in this world? And not just in this world, there's darkness in us, right? Our default setting is not that we're good people. Our default setting is that light and life. Remember, the, the life was in him and the life was the light of men. You remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? The life of God left man and the light did too. And so now man stumbles through this world without any light on the inside. He is in darkness, right? Ephesians describes fallen human beings this way. Ephesians 4 verse 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of heart. Right, that's a screaming declaration. Something needs some reformation right there. That can't stay in that condition. That needs to be fixed. What's the reformation after? What's after stuff like that? But I, don't, I don't know who your, who your heroes are in the world. And, and again, I understand that at regeneration, we receive something from God that interferes with this. Right? We still live in a fallen world, so it's not fully gone. It's not as though darkness gets eradicated, then you get born again. There's still darkness in this world. And that darkness can reach into your own soul and still affect the way you live your life. So be very careful that you don't ascribe to people stuff that's, that's not true about them. Uh, there is darkness in Dr. Fauci. There is darkness in Donald Trump. There's darkness in anybody you want to stand up as a, as a hero out there doing something spectacular or speaking in some category. We would be ignorant to stare at human beings and not recognize there's darkness. And we would be arrogant to not recognize in ourselves as well. So as I interfere with and walk with other people's ideas, I need to recognize I have the ability for darkness to shroud truth, to hide it from me. I have preference. Anybody here besides me got preferences? Do you ever get the idea that some of those preferences were birthed out of your own darkness? <laughs> and if you don't know that, you might want to visit them and pay more attention to them. Right? There's lots of things you and I don't want because we're scared to death of that. And we got scared of that because when we were 5 or 10 or 15 or wherever in life, we had an encounter with something that kind of looks a little bit like that. And the one thing I swore in my soul is that'll never happen again. And so now that, that darkness is with me. It travels with me through this world. So there's a, a healthy suspicion of ourselves that we walk with this darkness and we need God to invade and reform that darkness. And John goes farther and says, there is a true light that came into the world. What does that imply? If there's a true light, there's also a false light. 
2 Corinthians chapter 11 says, for such men are false apostles, right? There's true apostles and there's false apostles. Deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Why, why does he put on that title? Why does Satan live in this world disguised as an angel of light? Because in him was life and the life was the light of men. Satan knows every human being is looking for life and light. When we ask that question, who am I? That's what we're looking for. We're trying to locate the life and the light. So he comes along disguised as an angel of light. And I wonder if if you're being heads up, are you recognizing his disguises today? Are Are you aware of how something could come to you looking like light? Remember, it looks like light. It's disguised as light. But it's not light. It's a disguise. It's a cover up for something else. I, I, I got to warn you, and, and I'm, I should say this stuff obnoxiously, really, because I, I do think the church needs to be awakened. We have been so under the influence of the philosophies and principles of this world in this hour. And we think we're going to get rescued by some people who are touting themselves as a Christ, as a savior. I've got the right political platform. I've got the right idea. You need to go with this. This idea will fix humanity. It's false Christ's. And they don't come out and tell you that. That's not the label they're sticking on at high. I'm trying to be the Christ. But they're trying to save humanity, right? They've got the slogan. They've got the approach. They've got the thing that's going to fix everybody. You just need to get on board with it. Oh, and by the way, if you don't get on board with it, you're dangerous. You're a dangerous person in this world. And we need to be against you. This is what everything in the news sounds like today. Because they're all claiming to be a Messiah. Hey, why don't you just be another idea? Why don't you take a demotion? There's a lot of ideas out there and you got one of them. There's a lot of them, okay? But there's only one Messiah. There's only one person who can save us from the kinds of issues that Reformation is really trying to save us from, by the way. There's lots of gadgets. There's lots of little medicines you can take. There's a lot of philosophies and psychologies out there that'll fix something, but there's not any of it that can fix sin. Only a Savior can do that. A quick thought here, God sends protesters, right? We've seen protesters. Do you know God sends some protesters? John chapter 1, verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness. He came to say something, and he came to say something in the light of something else. So this is going to be a protest. When John shows up on the scenes, make no mistake, I don't know if he carried a picket sign, But he was protesting. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Right? So can you imagine if you've come to bear witness about the light in a world of darkness, you immediately have got a conflict on your hands. You are standing for something that the darkness is opposed to, doesn't acknowledge and doesn't believe in. You remember the, the introductory message? If you went and visited this protester named John, do you know the first word you would have heard out of his mouth? Does anybody know John's first word? Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? So right in the face of the kingdoms of this world, there's another kingdom here, and I need to announce it to you. And the only way 
you are going to be able to get involved with it is if you are reformed. If you repent and turn from one thing to something else. Listen, John is in a rich line of reformers and protesters. God shows up all throughout the Bible, stepping into situations where he is protesting that moment. You You don't get out of the Garden of Eden before God shows up in protest. Man has decided, hey, we're going with the darkness, God. Thanks for the offer, for the light thing and the life. You know, I breathed life into us. That was cool. And we appreciate that. But we got another offer. We listened to another set of ideas, right? We went to a conference. There was this convention, see? And we heard these new ideas. And they're going to save us. They're going to give us a good life. We're going with them. And so that's the intrusion of sin and darkness into this world. What happens next in the story? Man reconsidered, they came to their senses, they, they called heaven, got an appointment with God, saying, God, can we talk? We have totally screwed this all up. Right? Is that Genesis chapter 3? No, God shows up in protest. And he is unwilling for the ideas of sin and Satan to rule the day. He shows up, where are you? He shows up protesting the fact that you are now hiding from me. You are hiding from me. I created you. I'm your God. What are you doing? God's not okay with what's going on. Well, we were afraid. We were naked. Who told you that? Whose stupid idea is that that you've been listening to? God shows up in protest of the ideas that have infected the human race. And there's conflict, and that conflict is going to go all the way to the cross, where the liar and Jesus himself are going to duel it out, and Jesus is going to win. Right? So you have all the makings of, of protest and reformation here. You have a God who's not okay with things being the way they are. He's a reformer and a protester. He shows up in Genesis chapter 6. The world is out of control. The world is so self-centered that all of their thoughts are just evil continually. They're just into whatever benefits them personally. And God shows up in protest and says, this needs to stop. And he protests. And he brings a flood that brings judgment upon the world. I I love a little more personal protest. In in Genesis chapter 12, you have this guy who's just going to live out his days as an idol worshiper in the land of Ur of the Chaldees. We've come to affectionately know him as Abraham. But at this point, the dude is just a wandering, worshiping rocks kind of a guy. And God shows up in protest and says, Abraham, I'm not all right with you not knowing who I am. You know, he's not looking for God in this moment. His affections aren't turning to God. His worship isn't turning to God. God comes looking for him and says, Abraham, it's not all right with me that you keep living your life based on the things you're living your life on and you have no knowledge of who I am. I'm going to make you my own and I'm going to make you a great nation. Aren't you you loving the fact that God showed up in your life as a protester? And and he protested in my life and said, Keith, I'm not okay with the ideas you're, you're believing. I'm not okay with the life that you're living. I'm not okay with how far off you are and you don't understand why you exist. I'm not okay with that. And God showed up in my life in 1979 and protested the conditions of my life. And I'm grateful that he did. When Jesus Christ comes to this earth and God puts on flesh incarnate, he comes as a protester. He comes, right? That's what John 1.14 says. 
the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God showed up into our space and he was a living proclamation everywhere he went. Right? Jesus used words. He used demeanor. He interacted with people with power. Everywhere he went, he proclaimed something about this other kingdom and the power and the true reality of who God was. Didn't have to wear a placard. Didn't walk in a line. He had to read this thing. But he, he was proclaiming he's not okay with all kinds of stuff. Now, be very careful what you do with that. Because Jesus disrupted a lot of things in his protests. Right? Women were being marginalized in the day in which Jesus walked upon the earth, but not in his life and not in his ministry. He protested that. Provision for the poor. There were those who were being neglected by those who had more than others. You know, don't think that it's just the Democratic Party who all of a sudden got interested in helping the poor. Right? Jesus came along and protested the fact that there's poverty here and there's indifference among people. And he stepped into their poverty. Jesus protects the, the self-righteousness of the religious the way religion had been turned in on itself and it no longer represented God and who God was and his character was misplaced. God protested that in Jesus. Jesus shows up, he protests sickness, he protests disease, he protested hunger, he protested death, right? Jesus was not okay with any of these things and he interacted with them and everywhere he went, that's the darkness he brought light and he touched every one of those things. Jesus protested the powers of the demonic realm, Jesus went from one place to another in a conflict with demonic powers. And he advertised everywhere he went, you guys don't have final say. You don't have final say. You're not an authority anymore. Now be careful what you do with that. Because that's true and we should learn a lot about what human life looks like by following Jesus. But Jesus' cause was not to cure the symptoms it was to heal the disease. And if you ignore the difference between those two things, you will chase all the stuff that Jesus did without ever coming to know Jesus. You know how many organizations in this world are drilling for water in foreign countries to help people who don't have water and supplying food for people who don't have food? How many organizations have stood up Activities where there are attorneys who represent people who are being misled and mistreated by the laws of the land, right? There, there's a united way all over the planet who doesn't know anything about Jesus. But they're trying to do a lot of the stuff that Jesus did while he was here. But do you see the difference? Did Jesus come and give lessons and say, listen, you don't really need to worry about who I am, despite of the fact that in me is life and, and I'm the light of the world. But, but don't pay attention to that because I'm not significant. What I do, you do this kind of stuff and you'll be fine. Is that, is that the Bible? That's not the Bible. Jesus didn't come to reform humanity apart from God. He came to reconcile us to God. And then in that reconciliation, all these things should get affected. We should start to care about people the way Jesus did. We should interfere with the demonic world, with the diseases of this world and the problems of this world. Listen, Jesus had a cause. He had a cause that he came on a mission for. That cause was to reconcile humanity to God. And 
to restore something that was lost, to reform it, to restore it, to take it back to the place where God had created man to receive his life. God had the intention that God would not be a concept of the man upstairs sitting on some imaginary throne somewhere in the clouds. God's concept was that his very life impulse would dwell in us. It would be in us. And it would manifest its life through us. And we would experience the very nearness and life of God. And what would come out of that? Listen, don't for a second overlook this. Matter of fact, I think the church is massively in need of reformation in this category. Jesus came to reform and restore worship of God. Not just awareness of God or acceptance of God. I think we've, I think we've minimized some things. Right? Come forward at the end of the service and you can accept Jesus. Okay, but well, just be aware, God's not after you saying, hey, you're okay, you can ride in the back, God. Great to have you on board with me. Let me inform you about all the things that I'm up to and maybe you can be a help. Really? Is, is that the God of the Bible? The God of the Bible calls us to come to him in worship, to be willing to value him at such a level that we would lose everything for the sake of having him. That's worship. That's adoration. That's why this should be the noisiest room on the planet on Sunday mornings. Because we're not just here to acknowledge some ideas. Keith, give us a few more ideas. We just want to acknowledge them. That's a pretty good idea. I don't know if I've heard anybody say it that way, Keith. That's different. I think I might remember that idea from now on. And then I come in worship next week and I'm fumbling around in my purse, having a conversation with somebody who just walked in. Hey, do you you want to go eat after? Nah, 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 nah. Ronald, can you keep it down? I'm trying to have a conversation over here. It's like, we, we've come here, we're reformed. We've come here to declare that we have found the ultimate value in the universe. We have found the one who is worth everything. I'm willing to, to, to give it all up. I'm willing to lose it all for the sake of having that. Now, you want to sing about that? Let's sing about that, right? That's what we do in worship. So Jesus came to reform some things because he had a cause. Let me finish with this thought. He had a particular conviction as well. When Jesus gets to the end of his time with the disciples on the earth, he gives them what we understand to be the great commission. So of all the things, if you are confused at any moment for, okay, what's Jesus want us to go do? He, well, he just wants us to go be nice to people and maybe feed some people. He did that. Let's feed some people. We'll create a feeding program. We could even name it after him. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. That's the commission. That's the priority. That's the conviction that Jesus had about the mission that we are on. Be very careful when you and I get involved in protests and get involved in reforming the fallen world. Be careful that doesn't get misplaced. It's not wrong for us to try and change the human condition. But that in and of itself was not the gospel. It was not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is about furthering the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the reformation that needs to take place. And that's the reformation that Jesus gets really personal about when he reveals himself in John 1. And and think about this personally. 
Because I don't want anybody to assume that, hey, you know, I've been around church, I've read the Bible, I'm, 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 yeah, I know this stuff. John 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Right? Can you just install for a moment? As great as this Savior and Messiah is, there remains a disconnect possible. That's what's here, right? Jesus comes in all this amazement and beauty and power and awe, and his own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed, that's, that's what we, we, we receive by believing in faith. He gave the right to become children of God. Those who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Some, some kind of new life comes to the inside of the human being who is receiving by believing. They become something. Listen, there's a world reform that Jesus came to bring. This reformation that the reformers were so concerned about around the 1500s, we have not outgrown the need for reformation. There is a need for reformation today in our world, in the church. But, but that reformation begins personally. It begins by each one of us, every age in this room, 10 years old, 13 years old, 69 years old, 84 years old, whoever you are, every one of us is in need of coming in contact with this reformation personally. God wants to return something that was lost. God wants me to receive something that I didn't have. And I don't know where you are in this moment, but it could be you're in the same place that I was back in 1978 and 1979. It's a pretty long time ago. I knew a lot of this stuff. I knew about Jesus. I could tell you a story. I could tell you things from the Bible. I knew the Bible characters. I knew something about morality. I mean, if you know me back then, you might question that, but I had some boundaries I tried to live in. But I had not received that which had been lost. Lost by me? No, actually lost by Adam. And... I hadn't read my Bible thoroughly enough to know that there was something lost in me that God was seeking to reform. He wanted to actually give life back to me, the life described here, that being born of God. So listen, wherever you are this morning, if you're in that place where, you know, I, I know a lot about God, I'm, I'm not sure what you're describing there is, has happened to me. What can happen to you? Because it's something you receive by faith. You come believing in who Jesus is and what he did. Right? He took our place in order to reconcile us to God by eliminating the penalty and the barrier of our sin between us and a perfect God. Listen, if Jesus never does that, you and I can never have a day where we're kind of like, hey, you know, I think I want to get serious about God now. I think I, I, I want to be more spiritual. 
you know, I've been doing life. I think it's time for me to kind of get serious about God. Can I just tell you, there was a wall between us and God. It didn't matter whether you wanted to be serious or not. You're not getting over that wall. Unless Jesus comes and removes it. And then he comes to you like he comes to Abraham and he says, hey, I'm here to protest your life. I'm not all right with you living your life apart from me. I'm not all right with you so deprioritizing me. You barely know much about me, but you know a lot about causes and you're all jazzed up about something that's going on today, but you don't know me. I'm not all right with that. I'm here to protest that. Can I just tell you, Jesus is still doing that. Maybe he's doing that this morning in your life. He's coming to you this morning. He's saying, hey, I'm here because I want things to change in your life. And the, and the biggest thing that's got to change is you need to receive my life. It just can't be your life. You need to receive my life. Do you want to do that? Well, if you do want to do that this morning, I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to just turn your heart to God and, and in faith, turn to him and receive the life that he wants to give you. Can we just bow our hearts together a moment? Oh God, there are no accidents in the world that you govern and reign over. So nobody's here by accident. There's no accident. We're talking about some of the things this morning that we're talking about. So Lord, perhaps for some here this morning, this morning is the moment when you show up in an aware way and hearts turn to you in trust and receive from you by faith. So if you want to receive from Jesus this morning, You want to be sure you know that his life is in you and he has restored what was missing. Then pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, this morning I'm turning to you and I'm turning away from some things as well. Whatever I've been putting my hope in, whatever I think is going to make my world right or even make me right with you, I'm I guess I'm joining John the Baptist and saying, I repent, Lord. I turn to you from everything else. And I want to receive from you. I believe in you. Jesus, I believe that in you is life. You are the God who created everything. And you have life to give to us. I believe when you came here to this earth, you came to put on flesh and to die in my place to take away my sins, to forgive me so that you could welcome me. I believe that. So by faith, I turn to you to receive the life that only you have to give, only you have to give. I receive that life. Come, Holy Spirit of God, come live in me. Give me your power. Give me your nearness. Work on the inside of me from this day forward. I want to be your disciple. I want to learn of you. I want to be a worshiper. I want to follow you all the days of my life. What a great thing just started in your life if you just prayed that. A powerful thing just started in your life. Let me do one more thing here. And I just want to create some room for you guys to pray. I'm I'm going to invite you forward to pray some folks here this morning. And then I'm going to let folks just let Ronald lead us. And, and then I'm going to let you be dismissed. But I want some folks to be able to, to pray. If you're in this category, you're in a place right now where 
by God's plan, whether you've thought about it this way or not, you are undergoing a reformation right now. God has broken into your world and he's upsetting one thing after another. Have you thought for a moment, God is reforming things. He is reforming things. He is invading dark places to bring light. He's invading broken things to bring life and health to them. But I I, I know this. I know this personally. I know it because it's in the Bible. When God reforms things, it, it can be a painful process. And it can take a while. Maybe this morning you need just to be prayed for to have faith that a reformation could take a, a bit longer than maybe you've been willing to give it. But God is at work. And he just wants you this morning to get some faith for the fact that God is a reforming God. God invades spaces. He shows up in the Abrahams and he shows up in the Keith Collins and he shows up in your life to reform some things. And so maybe this morning is about just praying to get clarity on that, just to get on the same page with God, to get a sense that God's at work right now in my season. Maybe this morning is about getting faith for that season. Just being able to say, oh, God, reformation can be a hard place to be. But God, give me faith for this moment right now. I want to walk with you as you are doing this work in my life. So let's stand up together. I I believe God sometimes needs to impart just living moments of grace in our lives. If that's where you are. Could you just come forward and just find a place to pray? Just, you know, just by coming forward, you're just saying, God, I just want to acknowledge that I am in this place where I just, I just need a flood of grace to come to me right now. You are doing a work in my life. I'm having a hard time sometimes. I'm struggling with it. I don't know what to believe sometimes. I've been discouraged. But God, I want to be in faith for what you are doing. So if that's you this morning, can, can I just ask you to come out from where you are? Come, come and meet with God for a few moments. This is a unique place, right? God's people gather together. Surely I'm there among you. I'm in your midst. Let God find you. Let him speak to you. Let his spirit use your name and speak into your circumstances. Bring some light. Okay, time is up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's not, be, let's not be timid. I'm not going to pull on anybody here, but let's not be timid about pursuing God. And let's not be timid before God's people of saying, I have a need. Can everybody in the room real quickly just raise your hand if you have a need? Okay. Can the paramedics please come help the rest of them? And so it's, it's okay for us to have a need. It's okay for us to really not be doing well in our hour of need. It's okay. So as we close with this song, maybe if the Lord is leading you at all, uh, if you see some folks here, just feel led by the Lord to come and pray for them. Well, come pray. Come have faith for their moments. Maybe you've been through a moment. Maybe you're on the other side of some reformation. Maybe you can remember a season where God did something incredible in your life and you know what it's like to lose your way during that season. But you got faith to know God gets you to the other side. He does finish what he begins. So if that's you, maybe you want to come forward and just... Lay your hands on them quietly and just begin to pray for God to minister to them in this in this moment, in this season. And Ronald's going to lead us and he'll dismiss us as well. Are you hurting and broken within? 
overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In verse 1 again, are you hurting? Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Come to the end of yourself. Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was brought with the precious blood. sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious
Father, we we ask that your spirit would come and reform what needs to be reformed in our hearts. Both in the sense of things needing to be changed and in the sense of things needing to be renewed. Give new form to our lives, Lord, we pray. Give us strength and faith and hope to face what we're facing. through his name. Amen.